<clears throat> so tonight we're going to be in Colossians 1. Uh, started on uh, Sunday morning. We started in Colossians 1, and I said that we're going to be going verse by verse through uh, the book of Colossians. And so we started uh, with the message that was about uh, Paul uh, praising God and thanking God for uh, the saints' faith in Jesus Christ and their love uh, for all the saints. And, and then uh, Sunday evening, we were talking about uh, how Paul was praying to the Father, and he was uh, praying that we would have spiritual wisdom and that we would grow in our faith and that we would walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We've been called to life. Uh, we've been made uh, children of God, co-heirs with Christ, and now we are walking this walk, right, with Christ, and we want to walk worthy, right? We want to walk in a way, in a manner that glorifies God and honors God. And the best way to do that is to be in His Word and to be in prayer and trust the Holy Spirit to enable us to be able to do that. We know we can't do anything without God's empowering and without His Spirit and without His Word. And so uh, He encourages uh, the believers in prayer that God would grant that uh, gift to them. And then we come into Colossians uh, verses 12 through 14. And, and tonight, he's, He goes into giving thanks again. And if you've noticed, the Apostle Paul, he... Uh, He's always thanking the Father, and he's, and he's praising the Son, and he's always praying uh, for us to be spiritually equipped, right, for every good work, where, where he's constantly praying that we would grow in our knowledge, and as we grow in our knowledge, we would glorify God by what he reveals to us. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at verses 12, 13, and 14, and uh, just like I was talking to Eddie uh, in just three verses, you think that you just go through them super fast and I'd be done in 10 minutes. But the reality is, it, you, know, you know, Jason, right? Three verses, we could be here for three hours. We're going to be here forever, right? And so uh, I'm going to do my best to try to get it under 30 minutes. No, come on, that's a joke, right? No, all right. All right, it's going to take as long as it's going to take. I'll be done before you, I promise. All right, so the scripture says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the, uh, the, here uh, the Apostle Paul is giving thanks to the Father. Paul's prayers are model prayers for us. Our prayers should include both praise and petitions. We can sometimes get in the habit of only asking God for His provision and protection and forget every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so a lot of times we can get in that habit of waking up first thing in the morning and say, God, please give me this, right? Or God, would you please do this for me? Or God, help me to feel better, but fail to give Him thanks for everything He gives us, right? And we are all guilty of that, but Paul models that prayer life and we should too. The Bible repeatedly stresses the importance of giving thanks. Psalm 106.1 says, Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, His love endures forever. Hebrews 13.15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of His lips that openly profess His name. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with all thankfulness in your hearts to God. We just did that, didn't we? 
Hebrews 12 and 28 through 29 says, Therefore, since we are, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our Lord knew the importance of giving thanks. Obviously, when you read the Gospels and you see uh, the life of Jesus and what he had said, there's more than just what I have written here, but here's just two scriptures. Matthew eleven twenty five says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and re- revealed them to little children. John chapter 6, verse 11 says, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. You know, it reminds me of uh, our family always strives to pray before we eat, and then sometimes we'll be at the dinner table, and we'll look at Mealy. She's our youngest, and we're like, are you going to pray? And she'll kind of bow her head, and she'll go, thank you, Jesus, right? You know, it's just, the, just this little prayer, uh, and it's so cute, but... We need to be thankful for everything that God gives us. And a lot of times, I'm guilty of this as well, is, is lacking thanking God for what he's given me. Okay? And so uh, the Christian knows that everything comes from God. Right? The Christian knows that without his goodness and mercy, we would have nothing. Right? And that's been made evident to us. <laughs> but the Bible also teaches that failing to give thanks characterizes the wicked. That's convicting, isn't it? The, the Bible teaches that failing to give thanks characterizes the wicked. Romans 1, 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 2 Timothy 3, 2 says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and unholy. You know, it makes me think about before God saved me many years ago. It was, um, I was probably 20, 20 years old, and I remember being at Thanksgiving dinner. And I remember not being very thankful. I can't remember what was going on, but I was having a pity party, and we were at Thanksgiving, at Thanksgiving dinner, and we were sitting at the table, and then the rotation went around of how everybody was thankful for something. And I'm sitting there gritting my teeth, saying I'm not thankful for anything, you know. And at that time, I remember the, the rotation came around, and they said, well, Kevin, what are you thankful for? And I picked up a plastic fork, and I said, I guess I'm thankful for plastic, right? Because cl- plastic makes it possible. And in my ignorance and in my stupidity and foolishness, right, I was in such a darkness. I was in such a futility of mind and emptiness of my thinking. I could only think about my sorrows, right? I could only think about, you know, what was wrong in my life, and I couldn't see the goodness and mercy of God at that time. Does that make sense? Have you ever been like that? Like there was a time in your life where you were just like, you were everything, like you just, you were mad at everything. You were upset at everything. You blamed other people for everything in your life and you just couldn't thank God for anything. Well, I was there at that, that point in time, but thank God for his goodness and mercy for, for saving me and, and bringing me to life. And now I thank him for the, the smallest things. So now it says, what makes a Christian most thankful? What are we most thankful for? Our salvation, right? Our save, salvation that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's like, that's the foundation. That's everything. Everything else is just icing on the cake, isn't it not? And so the Apostle Paul said these words in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. 
And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I've repeated that before because I know my sin better than anybody. And you know your sin better than anybody, right? And have you ever said, I am a sinner and I'm the greatest sinner I know because I know myself better than anybody? Right? But God gave me grace and he gave me mercy because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Right, And so did the Apostle Paul. And then he says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal and invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you share his testimony, the Apostle Paul, when you think about the Apostle Paul's life, how he was an enemy of God? He thought he was doing what he was supposed to do, but he was an enemy, right? He was a persecutor of the church. He was an enemy of Jesus Christ. But then when he was on the Damascus Road, Jesus stopped him in his tracks, transformed his life. And from that point forward, he was, Jesus Christ was the Lord of his life. He preached Christ, preached the gospel, and he never looked back. Is that your testimony, right? It doesn't have to be just like the Apostle Paul's, but we have something in common with the Apostle Paul, right? We've been saved, we've been changed, and we're not like we used to be. Our life is now different, right? We're a new creation. We saints can say the same. We can rejoice in expressible thankfulness because we have received God's grace and mercy because Jesus Christ came into the world to save us sinners. Amen? So now let's take a closer look at three facts about the great salvation we have received. So tonight's message is called Three Facts of Salvation Saints Are Thankful For. So the first fact of salvation is saints are thankful for their inheritance. We are thankful for our inheritance. Uh, Verse 12b says, the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Uh, Where it says, give thanks to the Father. That the We have God the Father, and we call Him Father, and it emphasizes the personal, relational aspect of our union with God. Before our salvation, God was our judge, was He not? He was our judge, and we were guilty of sin, and sin separated us from God. We stood condemned before Him for violating His holy law and His commands, correct? And and it is God's righteous judgment that we should be destroyed, right? Totally separated from Him for eternity, But when through the grace of God we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God was no longer our judge, but became our gracious Father. Amen? Amen? You know when people say, well, God, you know, He's going to let everybody go free, right? Everybody's going to be saved, right? He just loves everybody now. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible tells us that if you've not placed your faith in Christ, you are condemned, right? And God is your judge. And you, you must repent, place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, just like God has done for us, right? And mercy and grace comes flowing in and now we have access to God, right? And God is our Father. And now we cry, Abba, Father, right? We go to the Father and say, Father, we pray to the Father, right? Because we have peace with God, right? Before we shook our fists at God, right? We were mad at God. We were angry for all these things happening in our life. Now we can't be mad at God. We can't because we know how much grace and mercy he has given to us through Jesus Christ, right? And so it says, who has qualified you? It says the Father has qualified you, the saints, us in, in this room, to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. 
That word qualified, this word is the, in the original text is hekano. I'm not trying to sound smart or anything. I'm just saying it matters. The original text matters. A word only used two times in all of Scripture. It means to make sufficient, to empower, to authorize, or to make fit. We are not qualified through our own efforts. How many times do you seek to be qualified for something, right? How many times do you apply for a job or have you applied for a job and they say, all right, you need to meet these qualifications and you have to go to school for it or, right, or take a test or, or get a diploma or something, right? But we are not qualified for salvation. We're not. Never will be and never can be only through the blood of Christ, only through the qualification of Christ, right? The only way that we have peace with God and reconciliation with God is because Jesus Christ is the righteous one who has credited his righteousness to us. We have none of our own that would be able to qualify us. And so it means to make, I'm sorry, God has qualified us through the finished work of Christ. So here's the thing. There is a lot of people that believe that, yes, you have to place your faith in Christ, but you also have to, to be saved, have good works. Now listen, because there's a tricky little, little tongue twister that, that I want you to understand something. Salvation is through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works of the law, right? But there are people, and there are religions, and there are faiths that say, yes, you have to have faith in Christ, but you also have to have good works, right? But the true faith, the biblical faith, the, the faith that, that we must believe in, right, is faith in Christ alone apart from works. Now, those works that we have are evidence of our faith, right? God changes us, makes us a new creation, right? And now we have uh, the desire to carry out, right, God's will, the knowledge to carry out God's will. And remember uh, Sunday's sermon about how God has changed our hearts to love one another, to be obedient to God's word. So it's a heart change that ultimately leads to a life change. And that is the work of God's spirit in our life. Before that, we didn't want to do that, right? We had no desire to do any of those things. But because God made us alive, born again, regeneration, there's tons of names for this, it's God's gift to us, right? That we are now able to actually do things that we weren't able to do before and have a love to do the things that we didn't do before. Like love people even when they're mean to you, right? How many of you guys, right, before you were saved, when somebody was not very nice to you, you wrote them off? or you punched them in the mouth, right? Or, you, or you, you'd slit their tires, or whatever the case may be, flashbacks, right? But because now you've received mercy and forgiveness and grace that because you remember, I'm an, I was an enemy of God. And while I was an enemy of God, God saved me and he forgave me. And now I wanna extend that love to other people. And now I can't stay mad at people. You can keep calling me names and you can keep doing all these things, but I can't stay mad at you. Why? Because God didn't stay mad at me and he gave me grace and I want to extend that over to you. You see? You see how that works? And when somebody has truly grasped their salvation and truly understood that grace and mercy, they can't stay mad at people. They, they have a great high tolerance for pain, right? Great high tolerance for suffering because Jesus did the same for us. Does that make sense? And so that's why Christians are different. That's why we don't flip out, right, like we used to. Well, don't, not saying that we don't have this fleshly nature, that we don't have this tendency to, to, right, to do something we shouldn't, but God empowers us to live a holy life. God empowers us to be able to live like Christ. 
So before God saved us by his grace, we were certainly unqualified. Would you agree? We were totally unqualified. I know my life, no way I would be qualified. No absolute way. A few passages in Ephesians explain this of our hopeless and helpless condition. So let's look at chapter 2. You can listen along um, or you can follow along in the scripture. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 says this. This was our condition before God saved us. And you were dead. Well, that's not a good spot. That's not a good spot, right? It says you were dead. That's not a good spot to, to, to start out. But this is what the Apostle Paul says. We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. That word dead means that we were separated from God. We were alienated from God. We, we had no relationship with God. And we were, that relationship was separated because of our sins. In which you once walked. That was the course of our life. When we woke up, we lived according to our, our deadness, right? Our, our dead nature, our fallen nature. And we followed the course of the world. We followed the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil, of the, and the spirit that is not at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Now, that's everybody. You can't say, nope, that was never me, because Paul says, that's everybody, among whom all we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's not good news. Like, it's not. It's not, it's not, that's not a motivational it's not a motivational verse right there. You just don't see that quoted. You don't see um, bumper stickers on the back of a car, right? But that's who we once were, every one of us. And then you know verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And so that was the condition. That is who we were. Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That's who we were. Chapter 4, verse 17 through 19 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. That futility means emptiness. Remember uh, Sunday night I was talking about how that uh, we could say that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He created all things, right? Or we can say that He is the Logos or the logic. So God is logical. What God says in His Word is the standard of truth, and so God makes sense because He's the creator of all things. And so what He says is logical, right? But when you, have, you don't want God in your thinking, right? and you don't want to listen to God, right? And you're an enemy of God, and you go the opposite direction of God. All, everyone has gone astray, and everyone has gone their own way. You give up that knowledge that he gives you, and you just go and do your own thing. And that's what Paul's saying, that we lived um, uh, illogical, right? We, we had illogical thinking. And so we were darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God because of our ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's who we were. It's who we were. And every Christian will say, amen. That's who I was, but I'm not anymore. Not because of what I've done, but because God in his grace and mercy gave me grace and forgiveness. And because of that, he's made me alive in Christ. He's made me a new creation in Christ and, and now his word is everything to us. It is the standard by which we live. 
It is the motivation of our life, and His Spirit is the empowerment to be able to live out that life, right? Praise God for that transformation. To share in the inheritance of the saints and light. That's what the end of this verse says. So the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. So that's what He's given us. He's given us an inheritance. Now, Ephesians chapter 1 talks about how God has given us this inheritance. I mean, it's going to get a little wordy right here, but I just believe that when I was studying, I said I could put so many little points in there, but Ephesians 1 captures our inheritance in Christ and how the Father has given it to us, that He's qualified us, not by our own qualification, because He chose to give us this qualification, right? He chose to give us His Son, Christ, who qualified us. So verse 3 says in, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and in things on earth. In Him... Here it is, guys. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the, to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. And so God the Father, before the foundation of the world, chose, predetermined our salvation. That's what Ephesians tells us. It was God's plan from the beginning of time. He didn't look into time and say, well, I think that he's going to be good for me. So, and I like that, that he's a very nice guy. And that, that no, none of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve God's grace and His mercy. It is according to the purpose of His will. And God the Father qualified us for salvation through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so He says that He has given us the promised Holy Spirit. right? And when, we, when did we receive this promised Holy Spirit? Is when we believed the gospel. right? When we heard the truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in Him. And when that happened... The Holy Spirit came to live inside of us, never to leave us again. And it's the guarantee of our inheritance. So when men and women get married, they give each other a ring, right? Well, when you a man proposes to a wife, what does he do? He takes, goes to the store and buys that special ring, and then he goes up to her and says, I want to marry you, right? You guys just did that, right, not too long ago. And you went up to her, and you got on your knee, right? And you gave her that promise ring, right? right? I promise that I'm going to love you forever. Right? You're mine and, you're, and I'm yours and I'm going to give you that ring. And when you gave her that ring, you made a promise that you were going to be with her forever. 
right? Through thick and thin, through sick, sickness and health, all of those things. And you made that promise to her. Well, we know that, humanly speaking, that promise gets broken, right? But God cannot break a promise. And when he makes a guarantee, it's forever. So if the sun sets you free, then you are free indeed. And if he has given you his Holy Spirit, my brothers and sisters, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Amen? And so he has granted us and he has given us salvation. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us and we have received the promise ring, the down payment of our inheritance. And what are we looking forward to? The marriage feast. We're looking forward to, to meeting the groom, right? We're the bride of Christ and he is preparing a place for us. Amen? And that's what we look forward to, right? That inheritance that is waiting for us, undefiled, in heaven, waiting for you. Amen? This is what we got to look forward to. So now this is the down payment, the joy we have, right? The, the love we have for each other, right? The, the confidence we have in Christ. All of these things that are gifted to us by the Holy Spirit is only a foretaste of what's to come. Amen? I could stop right there, but I'm not going to. All right, number two. All right, the second fact is saints are thankful for their deliverance. So first, saints are thankful for their inheritance. Are you thankful for your inheritance? It's been given to you as a gift, right? And number two, saints are thankful for their deliverance. Verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. It's important that we understand that it is God the Father who has delivered us and he did it through the Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? We did not deliver ourselves, but it is God who brings salvation by his grace. John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13 says, But to all who did receive him, all who received Christ and believed in him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now focus on verse 13, if you want to write that in your, in your binder there. Who were born, not of the blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Salvation, right? The new birth, regeneration, receiving the Holy Spirit is a gift of God. Not of, we can't work ourselves to heaven. We can't be qualified enough. We can't do enough good works, right? Salvation is when you hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and you become a new creation in Christ. That's all God's gift to us, to his praise and his glorious grace. Amen? And so Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, I already read that, but focus on these verses. Jot that down, highlight it. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. How will we stand before God and be holy and blameless when we know our sin? Right? I mean, if you think about what did you do today that was holy or unholy? I can, I can think of some things that I did today that was not holy. And you can too, right? So if you die, your heart stops, and you stand before God, which you, every one of us will, why would you stand before him holy and blameless? The only way that you'd stand before him holy and blameless is if you trust in the holiness of another, right? If you trust in the representative or a representative of another, who is Jesus Christ, the righteous, it's the only way you'll stand before God and be righteous is if you place your faith in Christ alone for salvation. In his perfect sinless life, he fulfilled all righteousness so that when we believed in him, we would receive his righteousness. 
And when he was on the cross, he died for our sins and he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. It's the imputation of our sin in him and the imputation of the righteousness on us. Amen? And so when we stand before God, he will look at us holy and blameless. Why? Because we've placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in his perfect sinless life and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave because we've placed our faith in him and in him alone for salvation. That is the true gospel. That is the only gospel. And if anyone preaches another gospel besides that gospel, well, Paul says, let him be damned to hell. Yeah, that's what he says in Galatians. Read it. He says anathema, right? So that is the only gospel through Christ alone through, for salvation. So he says, that word delivered is from the word romeo. I don't even, can't even say it. All right, romeo, which means to draw to oneself. It means to draw to oneself. So that word, I didn't want to say it, Jason. I didn't want to say it. But it means to draw to oneself, okay? And to draw to oneself doesn't like light bulbs go off in your head when you're thinking about what, what the gospels say about God drawing people to himself, right? And so John 6, 44 through 45 says, no one can come to me, this is Jesus speaking, unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. See, Jesus said it. He said that the only way you can come to me for salvation, the only way that you would even seek me out and want to hear from me is if the Father is drawing you in. Have you experienced a time in your life, I know I have because it's very vivid in my mind, where I never read the Bible, never touched the Bible, never wanted to go to church. But then there was one time, and you guys know my testimony, I'm not going to share it because you know it already, but there was a time in my life where I had a hunger to want to know more about God, right? Where did that come from? The Father was drawn, right? He was drawing me to the Son to hear about His Son, to hear the Gospel, and to make me alive so that I could believe and trust and follow Him. And He's done that to everyone, to everyone who believes. There is a time in your life where you started to be drawn to hearing God's Word. And you probably don't even remember. Some of you guys were so young and always been in church, you probably don't, it's not vivid to you, but to me it was. But this is what Jesus says. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And this explains Ephesians 1. This explains what just happened in the beginning, that the Father qualifies us, right? He, he gives us the gift of an, an inheritance in his Son. He gives us the gospel to believe in him. And then ultimately, he's delivering us from our sins. God drew us out of Satan's kingdom to himself, right? So we used to be uh, following this world, right? We used to follow the devil and our passions and desires, right? This is who we once were. Remember Ephesians 2 talked about that? But now, because of God's goodness and his mercy, he drew us to the Son to believe in him and to trust in him and to live according to his word, right? And so that event is called the new birth. It's called regeneration. When we placed our faith in Christ, we were instantaneously, we instantaneously became a new creation. Kevin's favorite Bible verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and all things become new. That's a fact for every Christian. You change. Your mind changes. Your heart changes. You can't be the same anymore because if God comes to dwell in you, you're going to change, right? All right, amen. I know that convicts people. People are like, oh, you know, but it's true. It's what the Bible says, right? So number three, third fact, and 
We'll be bringing it to a close in about 40 minutes. All right, number three. All right, the saints are thankful for their transference. So the saints are thankful for their transference. So we're thankful for our inheritance. We're thankful for our deliverance. And we're thankful for our transference. Verses 13 and 14. And we were transferred, and God transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So transferred is a really big word that says metastami, which means to remove from one place to another or to change. So if we've been removed from one place to another, and we've also been changed, it's because God has saved us, taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Glory to God. Amen, right? Glory to God. And this is what he's done. The word was used in the ancient to speak of the displacement of a conquered people to another land. The verb speaks here of a total removal from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, who is Christ. Now it says the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom of his beloved son is a spiritual reality now. If you are in Christ and you are a new creation and the Spirit of God lives in you, then you actually live this out right now. We live this out as believers. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. As we live our life out, we focus on Christ Right? Our, our focus is on his word and we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit to empower us through the day. Right? Um, and we're constantly praying, ceasing, right? praying without ceasing. Right? We talked about that Sunday night, about how we consistently and constantly, as we have conversations with people, as we start to get kind of irritated by outward forces, right? we're like, God, please help me. Please help me to stay cool and calm and collective. Help me to have the right words to say. Help empower me to share the gospel. Help empower me to love this person, even when it's hard to love this person. God, I can, I'm dependent upon you and in your strength, not my own. This is the life of a Christian. And this is how we're living in the kingdom of God right now. Right? We're carrying out God's work in the world. The kingdom is a special relationship we have with God in this age. We have, and we have this through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our king, and we are his subjects. So we know that the Bible says that we must confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. But that profession of faith, that confession of faith, is not only a verbal profession, a tipping of the hat, right? We talked about this Sunday morning, but a Christ is our Lord of everything of everything. There is nothing outside of his lordship. And so everything that we read and everything that we watch and everything that we say and everything that we do, we want to bring under the lordship of Christ and say, God, does this glorify you, right? And so as we live our life, whether you eat, whether you drink, you do it all to the glory of God, right? And we want to make sure that whatever we're doing, we're living out a life that is worthy, right, of our calling. We've been called to a new life, and that is, should be the desire of our heart that we would be pleasing to the Father, right? Now, I believe, and although my kids are sinners, just like we all are, I think and I believe that my kids want to listen to me because they love me, right? Like, right? My kids obey me and listen to me, not because I command them to do it, and I can, I can command them to do it, I'm their father, but I would hope that they listen to me because they love me, Right? Amen to that? And the same thing in, in perfection that we want to obey the Father. 
And we want to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome to us, right? But they are pleasing. We would want to please the Father, right? And we want to please him. And we know that we don't earn our salvation by doing good deeds, right? We know we don't earn our salvation because we, we did A, B, and C. And we don't come to the end of the day and say, God, did I do enough that you're going to accept me when I die? Because we've already been accepted. We've already been qualified because the Father has given us salvation through his Son. And the qualification is his Son, Jesus Christ. And the only, the only thing that we need to have is faith in his Son. And that faith in his son is granted to us, right? So God gives us that to, to believe in his son. And the repentance and the life to live that out is also granted to us because we wouldn't do it if we were in our flesh anyway, right? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. That's the end of Ephesians 2, that little section there. Before we were, we were dead in our trespasses, Chapter, I mean, sorry, uh, verse 1, 2, and 3. Then God made us alive in Christ. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, that no man may boast, right? And now we can proudly say and praise God and thank him that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? We don't take glory for that. We, we praise God for the work he's done in us, right? He gets the glory for everything that he's done. So the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, bringing it to a close, verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God has transferred, uh, has, what's the other word? Um, not transferred, but... Um, delivered us, God has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That word redemption is a big word and it means releasing or uh, releasing affected by payment or ransom. Our ransom was paid in full when Christ's blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Amen? I mean, that is the centrality of everything the gospel right the gospel is central to our belief and when the blood of Christ was poured out for us it was the ransom right it was the payment for our sins and it was a pleasing sacrifice to God right Isaiah 53 says in a section of it says that it pleased the father to crush the son and now a lot of times people say that's that's kind of Weird to think that it pleased the Father who, who set his affection on the Son and he loved the Son, but it pleased the Father to crush his Son for our sins. He became a sin offering for us. And see, God is holy and he's righteous and he's just and he has to punish sin. And this, the, our sin had to be punished and it was punished on Jesus on the cross. Right? The one who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus Christ lived the perfect sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins and his blood was the payment for our sins. His blood didn't just spill, it poured completely out of him for us. That pleased God. That was a satisfying sacrifice for our punishment. So if you ever think, is there any more punishment for my sins? Have I not done enough to be saved? Place your faith 
completely in the finished work of Christ to be saved and believe that his blood was the payment paid in full, completely satisfying to the Father so that now we're no longer enemies of God, but now we are friends of God, co-heirs with Christ, and we will be with God for eternity, right? Uh, Romans 5 says that, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, right? And now we have access to God. We are no longer separated from God, but we are in union with God because of the Holy Spirit and what Christ has done for us. Amen? And now we don't have to be afraid of him. We don't have to be afraid anymore because he is our father. Amen? He's delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In conclusion, we saints have a lot to be thankful for, for, the, for, thankful for and most of all, our salvation we have received through Jesus Christ. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, God has forgiven our sins, granted us an inheritance, delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And this is all to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, uh, God, we thank you again for your word. God, we thank you for your spirit. God, your word is truth, and we are thankful that, God, we in our unqualified nature, dead in our sins and trespasses, deserving, worthy of your wrath and your punishment. You decided before the foundation of the world to give Christ to us to save us from our sins. So God, we thank you for that grace and mercy that comes through your Son. God, we are so thankful that you did this for us, this, this great gift that you've given to us, because there is no way that we would ever be able to earn our way to heaven. No absolute impossible way. But God, you've made a way. And Jesus says, your son says, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We thank you for that. We thank you for your precious son. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that comes through Jesus Christ. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.